podcast from the Sunday night service at New Life Church. The Sunday night service reflects a desire to be rooted in the historic expressions of faith while engaging God with our whole being in the world today. For more information on New Life Church, you can visit our website at newlifechurch.org. So there's this TV show, and I've never seen it, honestly, um, but I've seen bits of it and clips of it and, and uh, commercials for it, um, but it's called Wipeout. And uh, anyone seen the show? <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, apparently, you know, it's an obstacle course of some sort, uh, except that it's not your average obstacle course, because as they're going through these elements, you know, they're trying to get, you know, from point A to point B, and they maybe have to walk across this plank or this bridge or something, but except that as they're doing it, they get bombarded with, like, grease or dumped with oil or like you know gigantic rubber balls are like you know coming their way and they're being knocked off and all this stuff and they're falling in the water except it's not just water it's like you know whatever so it, it just keeps going on and on to the point of being absurd and really if, if you've ever watched even like two minutes of the show you know that the point is not for anybody to actually complete this the point is how cruel can we be to these people so the viewers will laugh their heads off, you know? I mean, really. And, and then I, I was thinking about it this week. Like, what do they tell the contestants as they're applying for this game show? I mean, surely they don't tell them this, by the way, we're interviewing you to apply for Wipeout. Because I can't imagine. I mean, maybe, it's, you know, maybe some people do, but I can't imagine that anybody would say, really cool, I'm in. I'm up for making a total fool of myself on national TV. You know, yeah, you know, I wonder if they kind of give him a bit of a bait and switch. You know, like, hey, you're going to be part of this show that's kind of like Amazing Race, but it's going to be even better. Oh, wow, cool, man. You know, and then they get on the set and they're like, oh my gosh, we're on Wipeout. You know, no, nobody told us this. Or, or, or they say, no, it's just, it's really kind of a cool, you know, um, new version of like American Gladiators or whatever. And you just, it's, it's about your strength and you get to show how tough you are and like, oh, cool, you know. And then, and then they tell you, by the way, not only do you have to get from point A to point B, but we're going to be doing everything we can to make you look like a fool. They're like, wow. Didn't know I was signing up for that. Um, and, and the reason I was thinking about Wipeout is because here we are in, in Ephesians 6. We're, we're coming towards the end of this letter, and we've got a couple more weeks, and we're going to camp out in this chapter. But think about where, where we've been. Think about where we've been in this letter so far, okay? We started by saying, look, look at God's massive saving plan. Look at how God one day will put all things in heaven and on earth, will sum them up together in Jesus and look how he's raised him up in heavenly places and look how we've been raised up with him in chapter 2 and look at all this stuff and look at our calling and let the eyes of our heart be enlightened you know so that we can see God's love and we're like yes this is awesome this is massive and then chapter 4 he's talking to us about human relationships and the way that we should live and and unlearning some old habits and learning some new ones and chapter 5 he's telling us about be submitted to each other out of reverence for Christ, how Christ is the center of all our relationships, and we're like, okay, yes, you know, I'm in this journey, and then he says, be filled with the Spirit, and we're like, yeah, that's how I'm going to be able to do this, the only way we can live out with wisdom is by the power of the Spirit, and we're sort of getting excited, and then we get to this point in Ephesians 6 where we find out, oh, there's an enemy, oh, not only do you, are you supposed to sort of do all these things, but, but listen, there's someone bent on your destruction. Did I mention that? I don't think Paul was using a bait and switch because he certainly has actually referenced 
these themes earlier. As we study Ephesians 6, we're actually going to see how Paul set us up for this by things he said in Ephesians 1, 2, and 4 specifically. But it can feel like this. I don't know, you know if you remember uh, when you said yes to Jesus, and I don't know what the presentation was like, what the quote-unquote altar call was like, if there was one or whatever. You know, but, but, but chances are you were moved by this, okay, God, you're so loving, and thank you for forgiveness, and I'm so grateful. And, and so that was wonderful. And then you kind of learned that, oh, well, he wants me to grow up and actually l- learn how to live like, okay, you know, well, that's sort of you know, difficult. And, but then, as if that weren't enough, at some point in your Christian life, you discover Oh, and there's an enemy. There's someone who's actually actively trying to oppose you. Now, it used to be that nobody really wanted to believe in God or, or evil or anything spiritual. And we sort of had this closed universe worldview that everything's scientific and rational and all this stuff. But I, I, I think we've all observed over the last, you know, I don't know, 20, 30 years, a big shift in that. It's not so much that people believe in a closed mechanized universe as much as people believe in a very open spiritual universe and now that the question is not is there something spiritual is there something more Uh, the question is what's that more like and is if there is a force in the world is it a force of evil or is it a force of good or are there both and and how do we know very often uh, I, I feel like opening a conversation with someone about God might almost be better off by opening the conversation by talking about evil and injustice in the world. Because it's interesting, even if you were on a a college campus or or something, you're talking to young people and you say, well, uh, let's start by talking about God. The first response is usually, oh, I don't want to hear about your uh, religion or your moral or your your morals or your ethics. I don't want to hear about all that. But it strikes me as interesting that for a group of people that are so passionately anti-ethics or anti-morals in terms of say, for example, sexual morality. Uh, there's also, they're also the same group of people that are so strongly for a sense of morals and ethics when it comes to issues like justice or human trafficking or whatever. And so someone might say, hey, you can't tell me that what I'm doing with my girlfriend is wrong, but they might turn around and say, but I'm going to go ahead and say that, that selling children is wrong. And, and, and you, you can sort of back up the conversation and say, okay, wait a minute, so maybe you don't believe in God, but do you believe that there's evil in the world? And, and maybe there's different words for it that people would begin to use, and you, you'd start to sort of unfold that conversation, but we have this nagging suspicion that there are forces at work in this world that don't have our best in mind. And maybe we don't name them, maybe we don't personify them, but we sort of think yeah, something's amiss here. There's some sort of bad infection in the universe. So yeah, well, that, that's true. But the Christian view of, of things takes it a bit further. It doesn't just say, yeah, there's some sort of bad infection in the world. It says, no, let's be specific. There's actually a, a, a mind behind this. There's actually a being behind this. And, and we call him Satan or the devil. And, and he has uh, minions. He has demons. He has, he has spirits that sort of enact his will. And, and now at this point in the conversation, you or the person might tend towards one or, or two sort of extremes. Either the one is sort of saying, well, oh demons, you mean like the dude with the pitchfork and the curly tail and that, isn't that stuff sort of goofy? And it's, I, I, yeah, I like fantasy movies. I like watching, you know, and it's just kind of the stuff we associate with fiction. Or we sort of swing to the other world and it's like, oh yeah, 
Well, I know. I mean, this morning, I tried to pour milk in my cereal, and the devil spilled my milk. I mean, that demon of milk spilling, you know, like, I mean, I'm not quite sure that's demonic, you know. And I think to some degree, both are a ploy of the enemy to get us to lose focus of his actual work. Either we say, oh, the devil and his work, that's all silliness, or we take it with so much seriousness that we, the only thing we identify as the devil and his work are the things that are crazy and witchcraft and like bombastic and sort of, whoa, you know, sort of, the, you know, whatever, wizards and warlocks and that sort of world. And if it looks like that, then that must be demonic, you know. And I think both are pretty good tactics at distracting us from the real, ordinary, beneath-the-surface work of the enemy in our lives. And so this is what Paul says in Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly, sorry, in the heavenly realms. Could not resist. I want to take this phrase by phrase and discuss a little bit about uh, each phrase and how it applies to us. This first phrase, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. If you have your Bible with you, and I I hope you do, uh, and if you're in the habit of writing in your Bible, which again, I hope you are, uh, would you do this? Take a pen and circle these three words. Circle the words strong, mighty, and power. Strong, mighty, and power. It's right there in verse 10. The reason I'm having you circle these three words is because if we were reading this text in Greek, we would maybe notice that Paul's actually used these very three words in a phrase, in a sentence, earlier in this letter. The words are these. The first word for be strong is the passive sense of the Greek word dynamis, but he, the word uses here is en, en dynamu, which doesn't really matter, except that it's, I'll show you this in a second. And then for power is the word kratos, and for might is iskis. And Paul uses those same exact three words earlier in the letter in Ephesians 1, 18 through 19. Here it is. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and in his incomparably great power for us who believe, here we go, that power, circle it, is like the working of his mighty, circle it, strength, circle it. And there's those three words again, power, dynamis, the same word used for be strong in the Lord, that power, is like the working of his mighty, might and mighty, mighty and mighty, in both Ephesians 6 and Ephesians 1, same word, and then strength. Now, I could sit here and say, well, let's, let's look at a dictionary definition of those three words and see what Paul's trying to say, but I think we would do better for this tonight, to say, all right, if he's using these three words in a phrase again, maybe we should go back to that phrase and look at it and get a little picture of what's going on. And sometimes you're well served by a little dictionary Bible study. Other times you're better served by saying, well, let's, look, let's zoom out a little bit and see what Paul's saying. And so in Ephesians 1, 18 through 21, let's read this. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. We just read that part. In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and in his incomparably great power 
for us who believe. What's that power like? He goes on. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. A couple of phrases we just heard in Ephesians 6. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Now this series, this little pattern here that Paul's using at the end of Ephesians 1 shows up again in Ephesians 2. And so here's the pattern. Picture this with me, okay? Christ was dead for our sins. God raised Christ from the dead. God seated Christ in the heavenly places above all authority and rule. Do you see it? Okay? Now, Ephesians 2, Paul says the same thing about us. Ephesians 2, verse 4 through 7. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive even when we were dead. So here it is. We were dead. God made us alive. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Christ was dead for our sins. God raised Christ up. God seated Christ in heavenly places. God set him over all authority and rule. We were dead in our sins. God raised us up in Christ. God seated seated us with Christ in heavenly realms. Same phrase. So that in all ages to come, he might show his blessing on us. You see this pattern? Now why is Paul doing this back to back like this? To show us something to show us that the power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him in heavenly places is the same power that has raised us from the dead and seated us in heavenly places. So, okay, Glenn, well, that's all fancy talk. Like, what does that mean, you know? God's power raised Christ from the dead. God's power raised me from the dead. I really haven't been dead, you know? He's talking about this work of new life that's happening inside of us. And the point here is that our new life in Christ begins is sustained and ends all by God's power. Does that make sense? Do you see this? That that, that our new life in Christ, it begins because God raised us up while we were dead in our sins. It's being sustained even now in the in-between. And it ends, it will culminate in all the ages to come. Same phrase. By that same mighty power. That means before we get into all this talk about the enemy, we've got to know that it's God's power that will sustain you. I don't know if it's when you hear the word devil or demon or enemy, if it sort of makes you kind of panic. Oh my gosh, I don't know. What am I supposed to do? Is there some magic spell I'm supposed to learn? Or what's the certain prayer I pray for these situations? And before we get into worrying like that or getting down that path, The thing that Paul is setting before us is remember. Remember earlier I told you about that power that raised Christ. That power that that started in motion God's new creation. That power that, that undid the death inside your own heart and is making life break forth even in you. That same power is what I'm asking you to be strong in the Lord with. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His think that's an important comfort to know that look it's not as if and again I, I, I what I said earlier about the Trinity as we were saying the creed tonight but it's not as if 
God saying, okay, look, I came, I did my deal, and now I'm up there sitting, and uh, hey, good luck. By the way, there's a really mean devil, and he's roaming the earth, and uh, good luck with that. Do your best, and see ya. As if someone came down to you, came to you and said, hey, Josh, I'm giving you a house. It's a wonderful house. Um, I can't give you any instructions about how to take care of it. Good luck. And oh, by the way, there's a Rottweiler that I've never been able to tame, and uh, good luck with that. Thanks for the house with the Rottweiler. Yeah. No. Be strong in the power of his might. That this God who began this work in you is still working. Do you believe that tonight, church? That the God that started this work, that started, the God that began the journey with you, that, that raised you up in him. Remember that moment when you came to Christ and you said yes, and, you, and, and something began to come alive in you. Death was, had no more power over you. All of a sudden, you, became, you saw this future ahead of us, this new creation thing breaking out. And that was a wonderful moment, but then you kind of move on, and you're like, well, this is discouraging, and there's setbacks, and it feels like I'm getting bombarded, like I'm in a wipeout or something, you know? Wait, 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 be strong in the power of His mind. That God and that power is still with you. Paul goes on, and he says, verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes so that you can take your stand. Uh, stand becomes kind of a key word used in Ephesians 6 and he uses that a number of times and it is this, it's, it is this military word for sort of holding your ground. You know, hold, hold, you know, you're there and you sort of gain this thing and you see something, you see this onslaught come, you see the siege coming, saying hold, hold, stand, don't let him, don't let him take this against the schemes of the enemy. And schemes is an interesting word because it's this word for methodia or related to our word for methods and there's, there's a method to the devil's madness that he's scheming, he's got a plan. But here is where I think a lot of our thinking, especially in the charismatic world, goes awry. Because when we read this verse, so take your stand against the devil and his schemes, you're like, okay, where's the scheme? I'm going to sniff it out. I'll find it. Where's the scheme? And, then, and here we sort of let the worst kinds of imagination sort of take over. And we're imagining, oh, I, I bet there's a scheme there. And that person means to harm me. And, and all, of, all your jealousies and suspicions kind of arise in your heart. But you think it's the Lord showing you a scheme. You know, like, ooh, that person didn't smile at me. I think that's the devil trying to bring me down today, you know. Relax, man. He just didn't see you or, you know, whatever. And you're looking for schemes. You're sniffing that. But here's the thing. Holding your ground. Taking your stand against the devil is less about binding and rebuking and more about not giving up ground that you've already gained. This is where I think, you know, it's like, okay, oh, the devil schemes. Okay, good. Oh, where is it? You know, we're sort of ghostbusters, you know, in the name of Jesus, you know. Where is the demon? I'll bind it. Where is that? You know, I'll rebuke it. But notice how Paul doesn't say, okay, look, the devil's, we have an enemy and you need to go hunt him down and bind him and rebuke him. None of that language here. You remember in a previous sermon earlier this year, I talked about this idea of Jesus being the one who's bound to the strong man. There's no, there's no role for us to go around binding. That's not it. 
What he's saying is don't give up ground you've already gained. Stand, stand, stand. In fact, Paul's actually used that very language, the foothold language, earlier in the same letter. Ephesians 4, verse 25 to 32. Therefore, each one of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not, what? Give the devil a foothold. There's that image again. Don't give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must not work, in, uh, must not steal any longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those who need, are in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander. Along with every other form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I would like to suggest that all of those things are the way that we stand. That all of those things, getting rid of bitterness, getting rid of rage, getting rid of unkindness, but instead being kind, being compassionate, forgiving, that that's actually how we stand. Now, that's not quite as exciting. You know, that's sort of difficult to have a conference over. It's much more exciting to say, we're going to have a spiritual warfare conference, and we're going to talk about the prayers you can pray to bind demons. Woo-hoo! Let's sign up for that. That's exciting. What if I said, well, the real way that we stand against the devil is by guarding your heart from unforgiveness? Uh Come on, there's got to be something more to it than that. And, and the real way we don't give the devil a foothold is by learning to be kind and compassionate. Oh, I mean, I know, I mean, I'm based, I've got that down. Tell me the secret prayers. I came here to learn the secret prayers, you know. It's kind of like that movie Hitch, you know, where he's like taking dance lessons and, and the, you know, Will Smith's doing all these crazy moves and he's like, now that's what I need to be learning. He's like, no, man, you just keep it right here. You know? This is where you live. You just keep it right here. You know? And Kevin James is like, oh, man. And he's like wanting to do all this stuff. You know? And I think that's like us. We're like, demons? An enemy? Come on, show me the moves, man. You know? And the Holy Spirit's like, just keep it right here, man. Just, you know? just stand. Just stand. Just don't give up ground that you've already gained. Don't give the devil a foothold. I think it's such an effective plan of the devil to get us fixated on spiritual warfare as something fantastic. Because the real deadly things are the things that are so easily missed. You know? It's like, man, we want to talk about demons and the devil in terms of like voices speaking. And that stuff happens. I've seen it. I grew up in Malaysia. I was a kid peering down from the upstairs while my parents, like, you know, prayed over someone. I, I've seen weird stuff, but I, that, that, that's, to me, sometimes talking about that is almost distracting because the more insidious ploy of the enemy is the stuff we miss. It's the way pride creeps in when you've helped someone in need. It's the way pride creeps in after you've preached a good sermon, maybe. 
It's the way greed comes in your heart when you walk by the Apple store. It's the way, <laughs> like Mac, Apple, you know, like, <laughs> apples, whatever, dude. You know. I'm more of a pear guy, but, you know, come on now. It's the way unforgiveness creeps into our heart when someone offends us. It's the way we get irritated at, at our spouse, which I know you've never done, but I, I, I have, you know. It's the way you get irritated at your spouse and you say, oh, well, I don't know, being kind and compassionate, yeah, 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 no, just, you know, whatever. I'm going to go to my prayer closet. Okay? That's good. Prayer closet's wonderful. But in that prayer closet, is there a place where you work out the confession for not being kind and compassionate? Listen, one of the reasons we have confession every week here on Sunday nights, do you know why we do that? Because if there's no other moment in your week, at least when you come here, you'll stop. And you'll exhale. And you'll say, you know what? I have been a jerk to my family this week. I've just been, what is the matter with me? And, and to say, God, forgive me. And every time you do that, you're saying, no foothold. I'm not losing the ground. I'm not losing the ground I've gained. I'm confessing it. I'm bringing it before Jesus. I'm letting forgiveness work. I'm letting the Holy Spirit work because I'm not. I'm going to stand. I know there's a scheme. I know there's a method. I know there's a systematic attack to sort of wear me down. But look, every time I confess, I'm, I'm taking back the ground and not giving it over to the enemy. Does that make sense? I think about a person who's, you know, struggled with a sin, you, and you see yourself in the journey, you're like, man, I, I'm, not where, I'm not where I was, you know, two years ago. I, I'm at a different place. Great. And then maybe you have this thing, you mess up, and like, oh, man, you know, it's okay. We confess it. We're not giving back that ground. We're not giving back that ground. Stand against the schemes of the enemy. Our struggle, he says, he goes on, our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That first bit, not against flesh and blood. That's tough. Because the, pe the people that really annoy us are people. You know, like, you're not driving in your car upset because a demon cuts you off on I-25, you know? <laughs> I mean, you think he's a demon. That's beside the point. It's people provoke things. So it's easy to make a person kind of the enemy. Particularly easy to make a politician the enemy. Never done that, right? It's interesting to me, you know, I mean, uh, just the perspective of a new U.S. citizen who will be able to vote this November for the very first time. I'm excited. I, yeah, I, I, I'm excited. But I'm also very afraid. I'm afraid of all the angry conversations on Facebook and Twitter and all the agenda and camp, you know, and all the stuff that's just mean. As if the enemy was a senator or a president. As if the enemy were flesh and blood. As if the enemy was a particular nation or culture or religion. As if the enemy were a particular people group. As if the enemy were that. 
There's a wonderful quote by Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who himself was a prisoner of war, exiled, I believe, into Siberia. If anybody had a right to say, that is an evil system, or that is an evil person, or this, if anybody had a right, it would have been him, and yet he says this, the line separating good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. You know what we do when we judge flesh and blood? We exclude ourselves from being flesh and blood. We sort every time you judge, what you're saying is, I'm not part of that group, and I wouldn't do that, and that is evil. Is it true that there are forces of evil that work more strongly in some people and some systems than in others? Sure. But the humility that comes from recognizing that that same line runs in you and me, that that same struggle, that same wrestling happens in you and in me. In fact, Paul reminds us of this. Ephesians, where are we here? Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 2, and we'll come back to this in a second, but let me read this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. In other words, yes, there is a spirit that is at work among those who are disobedient, no doubt. But that used to be true of you. And so before we sort of say, well, they're the probably the... Say, hang on, there's something bigger. There's more to this story that's kind of, that's going on. A little bit about words again. In this phrase, in this chapter, in, in verse six, chapter 6, verse 12, circle the word rulers, circle the word authorities. Both of those words in Ephesians 6, 12 are words that he used in Ephesians 1, 21. As in when he said, and God exalted Jesus over every rule and authority. Listen to this in verse 20, Ephesians 1 verse 20, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority. In other words, that same rule and authority that we are struggling against is the same rule and authority that Christ is exalted over. The same rule and authority that you and I sense that we're in a struggle against is the same rule and authority that Christ has been, is exalted over. That's good news. That means our struggle doesn't come from this place of what's going to happen, but the struggle comes from the place of saying, look, we are with Christ and Christ is exalted over this rule and authority. It's not a struggle of which the outcome is unknown. Secondly, Paul says that word, the phrase, the heavenly realms, in Ephesians 6, 12, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's the same heavenly realms, that same phrase, that he uses when he says it's Christ who's seated in heavenly realms in Ephesians 1, 20. It's the same heavenly realms that you and I are seated in in Ephesians 2. The heavenly realms where the spiritual forces of evil work are the same heavenly realms in which Christ is seated as the true ruler and we are seated with him. What does all of that mean for us? It means this. It means that as we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against these rulers and authorities and heavenly realms, we recognize that the Lord that we belong to 
is already triumphant and exalted over that. He is. He is. Does that mean we don't have to do anything? We don't have to work it out? We don't have to start? No. It means there's still a war. It means there's still a wrestling. It means there's still a guarding and not giving footholds like we talked about. But it means that we can know all of our fighting comes from this place of victory. This place of knowing that we belong to the risen, victorious Christ. But there is one more thing here. Because I, 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 I can tell that when I mentioned the thing about flesh and blood not being our enemy, that that can be confusing because we can all think of systems, rulers, structures that certainly are oppressive and that are evil. And isn't there such a thing as a system or a structure that's evil? One of the words Paul uses here in this phrase, the word for powers, is a compound noun that he doesn't use anywhere else. In the, it's not used anywhere else in the New Testament. It's cosmocrator. It's the word for world ruler. And in some pagan circles, they use that word of their god. They called their god the world ruler. But it's also what was said of Caesar, the world ruler. I am the world ruler. And Paul's saying, you know, we do wrestle against forces that are in the heavenly realms. But there's something about this world ruler. And later on, this Ephesian letter was interpreted by the, the church in the, in the next 100, 200 years that followed. Was interpreted, that phrase was interpreted to be persecution. See, look how they're oppressing us. Look how that's happening. And certainly that's true. What I want to suggest to you is that even though we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, there are systems and structures of evil that as the people of God, we are meant to subvert. We are meant to speak up against. We are meant to try to undo. And part of the reason we do that is not because we think so-and-so is our enemy or that race or that culture or that ethnic group. Or that. Part of the reason we do that is because we think the structure itself needs to come down. That the structure itself is a system of evil and oppression. The church here in America has done a great job of that with a number of different issues. But there are other issues that we're becoming more and more aware of. And all of a sudden we realize that this human trafficking thing in America is an organized structure. And we say, wait a second, that's a structure that needs to be undermined. Yes, it does. We find out about oppressive regimes or, or things that have happened that are that are, 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 are uh, kidnapping children and forcing them to serve in armies in different parts of Africa. You know what? That's a system that needs to be undermined and brought down. But see, even as we do this, what we're doing here is not saying, okay, come on, it's a crusade, it's a war, let's do this, let's bring it down, let's get our people in charge. What we're doing here is we're saying, we know who the true Lord of the world is. Because we know who the true Lord of the world is, we're going to live in a very different way. In a sense, everything we've talked about tonight, about standing against the enemy, about not giving him a foothold, about recognizing systems that can be subverted, all of those things boil down to one very important lens. And the lens is this. If Jesus is the Lord over all, if he is the true ruler, then it means the way that I interact with people is different. Not giving a foothold to another ruler. Not giving a place to another king. But it also means that in all my choices, in all my actions, I'm looking for ways 
to let his kingdom come on earth, even as it is in heaven. Does that make sense? I want for us to think about our enemy. It's not helpful to think of our enemy in comic book visions. It's not helpful to think of our enemy in fantastic fairy tales. It's helpful to think of our enemy as being there in the normal stuff of life, as being there in the moments that we don't want to forgive, don't want to let go. Do you know that every time you forgive, whether you realize it or not, you're actually subverting a whole culture of power and aggression? Think about our society. Everything is built on power and aggression. The way we influence is by becoming powerful. And I get nervous when I hear Christians talk about the kingdom in that same language. We need to get in places of power so that we can... Because the way of Jesus, when he faced the most powerful empire of his day, was the way of humility, of sacrifice, of Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The most powerful way to subvert the forces of darkness is very simply to be forgiving, to be compassionate. That's why at the end of chapter 4, Paul says, look, be kind, be compassionate, forgive one another, even as Christ forgave you. What he's saying is, do you believe Christ is the real Messiah? Do you believe Jesus is? He's naming him Messiah. you believe he's the true ruler? Yes. If you believe that he's the true ruler, look how he flexed his power. How did he flex his power? By taking charge? By dethroning Caesar? How did Jesus, the Messiah, show power? by subverting it in a way of humility, forgiveness, and sacrifice. The challenge is, can the people of God be like that in our culture? In a culture that says, to fight is to be powerful and oppose. Can we say, no, 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 to fight is to be counter the spirit of this age? Can we be the people that say, to really fight, here's the paradox is to actually be humble, to sacrifice, to surrender, to lay down, to say, I forgive, to say, I'm not holding on to this. Can we be that? Can we be those kinds of people? Because this war language in Ephesians 6 can be really misconstrued if we don't get that. Otherwise, we think that we're out here to sort of, okay, where's the deep? Let's go. You know, I bind you, I attack you, I'm going down, we're, you know. When what Paul is saying, he's just finished two chapters of this letter talking to us about submitting to one another, about slaves and masters both obeying, about children and parents honoring each other, about husband and wife honoring and surrendering to each other. He's talking about things that are completely subversive, right? In a culture where the spirit of the age says dominate, power over, overcome, he says yes, but the way that we do that is by humility, sacrifice, forgiveness, love, the way Messiah himself loved. That's hard. That's tough. That's against everything inside of us. It's against the grain of what we see. 
this is what we are to be. Imagine what would happen if every day we woke up and said, all right, Jesus, you're the true Lord in my workplace. You're the true Lord in my household. You're the true Lord of this city. You're the true Lord of this country. You're the true Lord of this whole world. You're the true King of the world. And when you were here, you showed your kingship by laying down your life. Help me to show that. If we are people of Christ, Christians, people of the Messiah, then the way that we come against the spirit of this age is that same way. Love, forgiveness, self-sacrifice, self-giving. Not what you think of when you think of spiritual warfare, is it? But certainly more close, more, more closely um, connected to the heart of what Paul's saying. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have exalted Jesus to the place above every rule, every authority in the heavenly realm. Thank you that we have been lifted up to that same place. But God, the reality is all of us day to day, we're we're struggling. We struggle against pride and greed and anger and self-importance and selfishness. Holy Spirit, fill us again. Fill us again. Let us be filled continually with the Spirit so that we can stand, so that we can not lose ground that we've gained, so that we can subvert the spirit of this age with the spirit of love, spirit of forgiveness, self-giving, self-sacrificing. That's the weapon your kingdom. Help us, Lord. Thank you that you're greater than any foe. Thank you that you're greater than the enemy. Thank you that you're greater than anything that's scheming against us. In Jesus' name, amen.